Welcome here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios hanging out with you where sports meets that thing called life. And uh, truly, where sports meets life, that's the tagline of the show, right? And that's uh, that's what I've carried with Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. That's how this show has become known, where sports meets that thing called life. And today, I'm doing a special broadcast because we're going to be traveling a Wednesday morning during our normal scheduled time. As you know, Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora is live for you every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time worldwide on YouTube.com, Facebook.com, and MixLR.com, all backslash Wake Up Call DT. You can also catch us on WakeUpCallDT.com's homepage and on Facebook.com backslash LiveNowDT. But because we're going to be traveling I'm a man of my word. We promise you a show. We're going to give you a show. So some of you are going to watch this tonight, and some of you are going to watch this tomorrow morning during our normal scheduled broadcast. So today is truly the embodiment, as, as we work to do every single show, of where sports meets life. And where sports meets life, you know, something that I got to experience while here on site on location. For those of you that know, I've been down in the Dallas, Arlington, Fort Worth area, and I've been able to connect the world of sports to life, as we always do here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. So I came down here originally to cover the game for the uh, Cotton Bowl Classic, the 87th Cotton Bowl Classic between the Tulane Green Wave of the American Athletic Conference, a.k.a. the AAC, as well as uh, the USC Trojans of the Pac-12. And having the opportunity to cover this, I also wanted to spend some more time in, in Texas. So I had the opportunity to do that and to be out in Texas and really get to see everything that's here and, you know, experience, experience all different parts of Texas, experience the life, the food, the history. And so, you know, as I said, Wake Up Call is where sports meets life. We truly in today's broadcast are going to look at exactly that, where sports meets life, because my sports coverage of this area and of the great state of Texas has led me into this very uh, life broadcast, life-centric broadcast, a broadcast about the assassination of John F. Kennedy and, uh, and the fact that it happened here in Dallas, Texas. So to have this moment to share with you, I didn't want to miss a beat. And because I experienced it today, I wanted to share it today as it is fresh. So like I said, We'll be traveling during our normal scheduled broadcast time, but I promise you a show and we deliver that. So this show is going to be for you all to watch and to listen to. And I thank you all for tuning in. There's a lot to unpack and a lot to get into inside of monpospopcorn.com is what's popping. You see the pictures of John F. Kennedy. You see a black and white picture of him looking kind of toward the screen and up. You see the picture of his motorcade or parade or whatever you'd like to call it. And then you see him standing at a podium giving a speech because there was a speech he was supposed to give in Dallas on the day that he was shot. And I'm going to read you what was in that speech, which is now at a monument that is right on the street where he was shot and killed. So 
seeing this, uh, you know, and experiencing this, and you could see that uh, my backdrop for this broadcast is that area, the actual backdrop of what I'm showing you here now. This is, you know, Main Street leading into going onto the highway and actually right around here that you're seeing on the screen, right around this area, this street right here, this is where he was shot. So this was a picture that was taken while I was on the tour. I want to thank Fun Texas Tours for an incredible tour, and I want to thank Kevin for being an incredible tour guide. It was an, an amazing time, and I'm not going to give away all the tricks and trades of the trip because I think you should definitely go on the tour yourselves. But I'm so happy that I did it. I wanted to do something unique to Dallas, something unique to the area. And so the first thing I found when I looked stuff up was this tour, this tour of the assassination of, of John F. Kennedy, the then president at the time. And so that was the thing I decided to do. I mean, I, I woke up today knowing I want to get some barbecue, some real authentic Southern barbecue, some Texas barbecue. And beyond that, I want to do something that is, you know, significant to the area. Did I think for a second it was going to be uh, taking a tour of, of the JFK assassination and that I would be standing on the street and in the grassy knoll and right by the building that Lee Harvey Oswald was allegedly in and and you know that I could actually see the X's on the ground of where the president and the governor were shot where the president was shot again <sighs> that I was going to go to the rooming house where Lee Harvey Oswald had been staying for a while that I was going to go to his apartment to where he allegedly took the picture outside to you know so many things that we got to uh, see and experience and be on the street so many different streets and, and to go up to his tribute and into the, the monument that they built for him in downtown Dallas, Texas. I, I never thought that any of this stuff was going to happen, but yet here we are. And I want to talk about it with you today where sports meets life. So you're going to say to me, well, Dan, how do you connect sports to what you experienced today? Well, today I told you I was going to go get some barbecue and I want to give a shout out to one of my drivers down here who suggested Railhead and uh, went to Railhead and got to get some barbecue there today. I had the brisket, I had the ribs, I had their authentic smoky barbecue sauce. I call it smoky. So it was a good barbecue sauce. I had their baked beans and I had their fries and it was a great experience. I had a good time. I enjoyed the barbecue. And where did I have the barbecue? Well, Railhead is in Fort Worth. Well, what's in Fort Worth, Texas? TCU. Who's the team that I said deserved to be in the college football playoff this year? TCU. Who's playing Georgia for the national championship on Monday, January 9th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN? TCU. Who's the team that I said I liked a long time ago because I loved the fact that they're named the Horned Frogs? TCU. Who's TCU's coach that I covered in his entire time at SMU? Sonny Dykes. So, you know, it was just funny how small and how smaller and smaller my world gets and how God just, you know, kind of put these things in my lap. I, I didn't even think about JFK's assassination. I didn't even think about where it was. I remember learning about it in school, but I don't remember them telling us it was Dallas, Texas. And, you know, it was so long ago. And so I'm not even thinking for a second that I'm going to go on this tour because I didn't even know the tour was here. And then on top of that, here I am in Fort Worth getting some barbecue and I wanted to go to Railhead and I originally tried to go to someplace else. I was going to try and do both. 
And when I went to the other place, it was closed. So my driver was like, well, you know, I'm willing to take you to Fort Worth if you still want to go to this place. And I said, yeah, I really do. And so he drove me over there and we went there and we experienced it. And, or, well, he, well, I experienced it. He drove me over there, dropped me off. And so, you know, if the one place wasn't closed, I might have not have gone to Fort Worth, Texas today. And if I didn't go to Fort Worth today, then I wouldn't be in the backyard of TCU. And I didn't even think about being in the backyard of TCU until I went into Railhead and they had a bunch of TCU stuff. They had lights, they had, they had flags, they had signs of the Horned Frogs. And I'm like, okay, is this a TCU bar? And there was a guy wearing a TCU hat. And then I thought, you know what, just for giggles here, let me look up where in Texas TCU is. Oh, it's in Fort Worth. And then I asked my driver on the way back today, and he goes, yeah, it's five minutes in that direction. It's right down that street, right down that road, about five minutes. So a very small world, how sports meets life, that covering the Cotton Bowl Classic is what I came down here to do. And I gave myself some extra time because I wanted to discover this part of Texas and I want to spend more time in Dallas and maybe Fort Worth and Arlington and whatnot. And so coming down here for the Cotton Bowl Classic, covering Tulane, who I've covered for almost a decade, getting to cover USC, who's on the West Coast, and I haven't been out to the West Coast to see them, so I was excited to do that. So being able to do all those things in the Cotton Bowl Classic, to live a kid's dream and be at AT AT&T Stadium, where the Dallas Cowboys play, who are one of my favorite teams, and to stand on the field, to be on the field, to physically be in AT&T Stadium was enough. To be in the Cowboys' home was enough. And then to actually go down to the field, walk on the field, be on the field, I didn't want to leave. And so that, the sports side of things, TCU being in the backyard of where I am today and then playing for a national championship and being around the community of people that are supportive and, you know, obviously... Uh, here and excited to see TCU emerge as one of the final two teams in college football this season. And then to have this JFK assassination tour that I took, where sports meets life. Cotton Bowl, AT&T Stadium, Dallas Cowboys, Tulane, and Willie Fritz and the team that I know, USC, getting to cover a team that I haven't covered on site before. I don't actually know. That's not true. I did cover USC once. I covered them at MetLife when they played Syracuse. So the second time covering USC on site, on location, might have been my first time interviewing USC. And thank you to Makai Blackman for the opportunity and, and Justin Dietich and to the Cotton Bowl team that allowed us the opportunity and USC who allowed us the opportunity and Coach Lincoln Riley as well who had his players out there with him. So to do all of that, and to experience all of that and then say, you know what, I'm going to stay in the area another day because I don't know when the next time is I'm going to be here. If I'll ever be back here, I want to come back here. And I'd never been to Dallas. It's a city of a team that I love, that I've loved since I was a kid. So I've always wanted to come to Dallas most of my life. And, you know, when I started liking the Cowboys to now, so say almost 30 years. And then to wake up this morning and say, what am I going to do? So you want to know how Wake Up Call truly brings together where sports meets life for this specific broadcast. That's how we do it. The Cotton Bowl, the teams I'm covering, Dallas Cowboys, AT&T Stadium, leads into staying another day, leads into finding out about the JFK assassination tour, leads into finding fun Texas tours, leads into going on the tour where sports meets life. Your sportscaster on-site, on-location to have a very special and unique time capsule episode of Wake Up Call that 
is going to be uh, truly different than any other episode I've ever done. We've done over a thousand episodes and this folks, I can promise you is going to be unlike any other. So let's get into it. Like I said, behind me is the actual location. Some of these buildings, very old buildings, but these and, and right behind this, this brown building that you're seeing is actually the tribute to him, the, the monument that looks like a giant cube that's there. And so that's actually right on the other side of this, of this brown building here. And so right on the other side of this brown building. And then here on the side that we're on, you're seeing right here, you know, you're seeing the plaza. And, and this, this plaza that you're actually witnessing here, Dealey Plaza, uh, here, uh, right, right in the main street area, this is all behind me. So actually physically behind me on screen in this backdrop of a picture that I took, this is one of my pictures from Dan Tortora broadcast media for my experience today, right behind me is the actual road where JFK was shot and killed. Now, we're going to talk about a lot of different things here today, and we're going to give some background on the story. So, like I said, I'm not going to give up, you know, the tricks and trades of the tour. I'm just going to give you a little background. For those of you that don't know, the day that JFK was shot, November 22nd, 1963. So here in 2023, it's going to be 60 years since it happened, which to me, it's insane. My parents were around seven years old, seven, eight years old, and so... Actually, they were, yeah, I would say they were eight. I think they were both eight years old. So looking back on this moment, why was he here? Well, he was here to campaign. He was running for re-election in 1964, and he started early, a little bit over a year early, to campaign and campaign in Texas. So, you know, to see him campaign in Texas, he was in different places, different parts of Texas, and his first stop was San Antonio. And he was with uh, Governor John B. Connolly, who was with, them, with him in the motorcade. And they were here in San Antonio. And then he went to Fort Worth, where I was today, where I saw TCU stuff and Railhead Smokehouse uh, Restaurant, leading back to where sports meets life. Well, there was rain falling on Friday morning, November 22nd. But there was a lot of people that uh, had come out to see him in Fort Worth. Well, as the day went on, the skies parted, it was sunny, and John F. Kennedy allegedly said, take the, take the bubble off of my car, right? I wanna be able to wave, and I wanna be able to see the people. I'm a man of the people, I'm looking to get reelected. Don't put me in a you know plexiglass bubble I want to be outside of this thing and I want to be in open air now it is hard for the Secret Service to protect that obviously you don't see any presidents in open-air convertibles anymore and you know also something that was put in the newspaper not once but twice was a publication of the route of the motorcade so people knew exactly and could plan ahead if somebody were to do something heinous they could plan ahead and say this is where the president's going to be. This is his route. You know, all the stuff you're not supposed to know. So the motorcade comes on its way to Dallas. And Governor John Connolly and his wife Nellie were seated in the open convertible. 
and John F. Kennedy and his wife, Jackie Onassis, entered into it as well. Now, the plastic, the plastic bubble that I said that was on there was taken off. The vice president and uh, Lyndon B. Johnson and his wife accompanied another car in the motorcade. Now, the procession left the airport, traveled along a 10-mile route that went through downtown Dallas on the way to the trademark where the president was supposed to be speaking later on that day. Now, because people knew where the president was going to be, they could go to this, right? And so people were in the streets. Now the car turned off a main street at Dealey Plaza around 12.30 p.m. And as it was passing the Texas, and I believe that was 12.30 p.m. Central Time, as it was passing the Texas School Book Depository, gunfire was heard. Now, the first shot, as we've learned over time, was a miss. The second shot went through the back of President Kennedy's neck and and out the front of his neck. Now, after that was the final shot, which a lot of people, and it's graphic, hits the president in the back part of his head on the right-hand side. And you see him go forward, then go back, and then over to his left, right? That's what the, uh, if you go back and watch the video, they talk about the angles and whatnot. So uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was brought up on the charge of this. And then Lee Harvey Oswald, before a trial could happen, he was killed by Jack Ruby, who was a nightclub owner. And Jack Ruby had stage four cancer. Uh, He was dying anyways, and he would die while he was being held in, in jail, I believe. And while he was being held, I think it was in the courthouse or whatnot. So that's the story, right? That's the story of what happens. And you could go on to YouTube and you can watch the actual assassination of JFK. You can watch the video uh, to this day. You can watch the video. And it's uh, not only is this crazy that you could go back and watch this but lee harvey oswald when he is shot and killed that happened on live television and so that was carried on live tv and you know and and so to go back and watch that and see that uh, to see all of it is is um you know there's a there's a pruder film now you know and and knowing that he had this film and you know it's 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 how things happen right it's it's seeing how these things actually occur, right? That how do, how is this person in the right place at the right time to, to have this camera angle or to have this video and whatnot. But, you know, here we are to see this. You know, things have happened just like the people that, that caught what went on in 9-11, right? So this clip that you could go back and you can watch is to a lot of people it's it's something that they'll never forget right because they watched it and you know my parents were little kids when this was happening like I said around eight years old and so they actually got to see this and you know, witness it how I witnessed and a lot of people, you know, witnessed 9-11 as it occurred, right? Uh, 
watching things in real time. I remember watching Tower 2 fall uh, in real time. It was the first tower to fall. And to see that was, I mean, to me, I thought it was a movie, right? In my head, I thought it wasn't real. I thought at some point Harrison Ford was going to show up and save the day. So to see something like this occur is... You know, one of the people that I was I was with on the tour, you know, they, they talked about it. You know, they, they talked about the actual experience of it, you know, being a little kid and and growing up and, and hearing about it in, in France. You know, like they said, they heard about it all over the world. And so, you know, this is something, a day that will be remembered forever, November 22nd, 1963. And a moment that truly is one of the saddest moments in history and still one of the most controversial moments in history as well as as we see you know this this happen and I'm actually watching here in the studios right now as this happened and watching this again in real time and having them have the clips of all of this and you know Jackie's response and everything that went on here and, and seeing the actual you know clips of this and, and again it's it's not for it's not an easy thing to watch right and so tonight and for those of you that, that are going to watch it in the morning I, I come I come to you to share my experience of being here you know being being on this this ground so the background that you'll see here is the background that's behind me. And as I told you, the background that's behind me in the Cafe Kubal Studios for this broadcast, as we take a look at uh, the assassination of JFK and my experience of physically walking the steps and driving to different locations. And again, I want to thank Fun Texas Tours, a fantastic tour by Kevin. I definitely would suggest that if you're in the Dallas area or near the Dallas area that you come take a tour from Fun Texas Tours and check it out and see this for yourself. It was a, a unique experience. I've been to Gettysburg. You know, I, I've been to the um, Freedom Tower. I, I've been to uh, 9-11, Ground Zero, when it was Ground Zero. And... You know, went inside of the church that was across the street. I was there when, when there were signs put up shortly after thing ha things happened and people had candles and stuffed animals and, and signs across the street that they had put up for people that they were looking for and people that had passed away and, you know, remembering people. So I have experienced different things that I can say really make you feel in a way that you can't adequately compared to anything else and so this is what you're seeing behind me here as we're talking today and this is Dealey Plaza and Dealey Plaza which has left been left somewhat untouched for decades is is here in the background you see uh, in the the building here at Dealey Plaza where you see the U.S. flag and you see um, this the white pillar area and then the x in your bottom right screen that was the that was the what they call the kill shot. That was the final shot, shot number three, that hit the back of the head of 
President John F. Kennedy. So that's what you're seeing here in the background. Now, we're going to take a look, like I said, at a bunch of different things. Another look of uh, Dealey Plaza is right here, and that's and that's now the X is in the middle of your screen, that final shot, shot number three. And so that's because the first shot was a miss. The second shot hit Governor Connolly and hit uh, President John F. Kennedy. And so that area has two X's, and that is a little bit back up the road from the shot that you're seeing right now. So this is that final shot that went to the back right part of President John F. Kennedy's head. And this is in Dealey Plaza. And now people drive on this road all day long, every day. And I uh, actually, when I left my driver, I was wondering if I was going to take this road because I kept thinking to myself, like, how many people drive on the street and don't even know what happened here? And my driver, sure enough, picked me up, turned right, turned uh, left down the street, and I said, am I going to go down the road that the president was shot on? And I actually drove inside of a car on the street. I know to a lot of people in Dallas, they're like, yeah, Dan, I do this 15 times a day. But to me, it was different, right, to be on hollowed ground, right? This is supposed to be a place where someone... <sighs> Someone left us and is God willing in heaven. So on this road where that X is, I drove on that road today. I literally drove down the street where John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Drove on the same road. And like I said, some people do this a million times a week. Can't even count how many times they do it. Uber drivers, Lyft drivers probably do it 15 times, 10, 10 times a day. But to me, to be in Gettysburg, to be at Ground Zero in New York City, to be here today, this area, to drive on this road. I mean, in my mind, I'm like, this road shouldn't even be available to drive on anymore. This should be like, you know, a hallowed ground, a place to pray, a place to leave flowers. This is a road that people drive on. They drive over that X. They drive over all of the Xs, right? And... Some people don't even know what happened there, right? So to me, to say, are we going to go drive down the street? And then we actually did. And to look up at the building where Lee Harvey Oswald allegedly fired these three shots. And I say allegedly because there's a lot of stories out there that are either way, right? It's whatever you believe. And so as we're driving down the street, I looked up at the building and as I cross where John F. Kennedy was shot and Governor Connolly was shot, as, I, as I'm coming down the road, I'm looking up at the Texas Depository where Lee Harvey Oswald was. I'm looking up at the building while I'm driving on the street. And I'm saying, like, I'm literally here. Like, how many times can you say, oh, yeah, somebody, you know what I mean? You go to a monument or something like that, and, and you're standing in a place that should make you stop, should make you silent, should make you reverent. And in the moment. So I spent a lot of time in silence, a lot of time in different areas here in Dealey Plaza, different angles, different places, kind of just wherever the Lord took me. 
And I just thought it was so surreal and so strange to physically drive today (laughs) on this road past these X's, looking up at that building, remembering what happened here. Now, the tribute area that you're seeing right here is like an open tomb. And what we were told by our tour guide, Kevin, today was that this tomb was here, or is here the way that it is, because it looks very cold. It doesn't have much of any color to it. It looks like a giant fence. It's lifted above the ground, as you could see. There's uh, eight, pi- there's eight uh, pillars, so to speak. There's two in each corner, and you could see four of them here because I'm taking this from the other end. And the spot in the middle that you would think a statue was stolen from, that spot in the, menu, menu, in the middle says John Franklin Kennedy on one side, and it says the same thing on the other side, and he's not standing here. Now, the story was that this monument was made to be cult like this. It was actually made to show that his spirit walks about, right? And that it's, that this memorial is, you know, this memorial to him, this tribute to him is is like an open tomb. There's an opening on either side. There's openings underneath. It shows that it hasn't settled, which is like why those pillars have lifted it off the ground and it's open on the top. So, This was done by American architect Philip Johnson, who allegedly was a friend of uh, Jackie Onassis, uh, Jackie Kennedy, the the wife of John F. Kennedy. And it was dedicated on June 24th, 1970, which many years later, my G-mama would pass away at almost 101 years old on June 24th. So I found that interesting. And it's part of the landscape that is uh, right here in Dallas. Now, it's the way that it's created, it looks like a, a giant box, but it was it's called a cenotaph, which is which stands for open tomb. It symbolizes the freedom of President Kennedy's spirit. Now it is a square, roofless room, thirty feet high and fifty by fifty wide, and it sits in the middle of the block with narrow openings facing north and south, which you could see here. The walls consist of seventy two white precast concrete columns, most of which seem to float with no visible support 29 inches above the ground. And eight columns extend to the ground, acting as legs that seem to hold up the monument. Each column ends in a light fixture. At night, the lights create the illusion that the light itself supports the structure. This ver- these vertical elements, rigorously separated from each other and individually poured, seem held together by an unseen invisible force. The architect once called it a quote-unquote magnetic force, and suggested its connection to the charisma of the living John F. Kennedy. And the intent of this was misunderstood. A thoughtful piece of art, originally it had no interpretive features. The space was intended for reflection and remembrance, and this is coming to us from the Sixth Floor Museum at Dealey Plaza, who tends to the upkeep of this memorial. So I want to thank them for that description and information here. And when uh, when Jackie was asked about this and, you know, when the media asked her about it because it looks so cold and so just 
lacking, right? There's not much to it. It doesn't have much color. It doesn't look appealing. There's no, there's no statue of her husband within this. So, you know, the, the thought was why, why make something like this? You know, it's, it's, it's ugly. It's distant. It's cold. And her response was, well, that's the way that I feel. You know, that's the way that she feels about her husband's death. So the question has become, did she approve of this structure because she felt the lack of not having her husband? And so here, this memorial lacks having a representation of her husband physically showing him. Or was it her way that some people believe and our tour guide talked about? Was it her way of telling Dallas, I'm going to leave you this ugly monument because of the ugliness that I feel about your city where my husband died? And allegedly Jackie never came back to Dallas, Texas after that. So this is kind of one of those you decide things. But it is a very cold and it leaves you, it's very still, it's very quiet. And again, going to different places that are supposed to represent a tragic moment in our history, it had a calming and and yet specifically unique silence to it that I experienced when I was there. Now... We're going to go back to the road here in a second, but I want to go to the rooming house where Lee Harvey Oswald was staying. So this, now the mattress is different. We were told this is not the same mattress, but this is where Lee Harvey Oswald came after the shooting of John F. Kennedy. He had been here. He was estranged from his wife. He was only supposed to see his wife on weekends and their child, and she was going to be having another one. So he was only supposed to go visit his family that he was estranged from on the weekends. She was staying with someone else in Irving, and he decided to go against everything and go and see them on a Thursday night. And allegedly the gun that he used was in that home and allegedly he went to pick up that gun that Thursday night that he would use and he wouldn't be at the rooming house where he was supposed to be but he would return here after the shooting occurred so this is what the rooming house looks like on the outside there is somebody who inhabits this home there's somebody who lives here the front part of the home is a museum the rest of it is this person's home I I find it very uniquely kind of creepy and strange that uh, somebody would live in this house that that someone would actually stay here and and inhabit you know this place that that seems to have a ghost you know have uh, the ghost of lee harvey oswald uh, in in a hopefully not the actual ghost of lee harvey oswald but just the uh the feel of an unsettling you know how history to it and and here in this picture what i'm pointing and by the way the hand in here is my picture um or my hands you see my hand in these pictures say dan why is your hand in these pictures because when you go into the uh, rooming house 
where you can't take pictures unless you have somebody in them or something in them. So you have to almost mess up your picture. So, you know, I took pictures of people in it and my hand in it and whatnot. Now, on the in, in here in the dresser, what I'm pointing to is uh, I think um, his arresting, his arrest papers that kind of state everything here of Lee Harvey Oswald's arrest was sitting here framed. And so uh, very, um, very interesting here as we go back to his room and the dresser was off on the right-hand side in the corner. Now, where Lee Harvey Oswald was arrested, we actually got to go here and it is the Texas Theater. Now, the Texas Theater is still in operation today. You could still see movies here. And every year on November 22nd, in recognition of that fateful day in Dallas, they have the movie uh, on, the, on the title board there. They actually will put the movie that was playing the day that the president was assassinated. And so at the Texas Theater, you can actually see the movie that, that was playing there. And like I said, it is, uh, it's still there today. You could still go there today. And you can actually physically can go inside. A war is hell is the name of the movie. And they'll put that up on the marquee every November 22nd, from what we were told. And this is uh, me right underneath the uh, Texas theater sign is this star for Texas. And so I stood right underneath that. And then I have another angle. So you could see the uh, Texas, it's a T all the way down to S vertically that you had seen in the last picture. Here's the marquee. And you could see right underneath the marquee is that star with the yellow ceiling that I was underneath. And if you were to zoom into this, you can actually see that, that they do play uh, recent movies here. And they have a movie that just came out that is actually uh, there in the theaters. So uh, really, really incredible to see this. This is a, another picture of the tribute um, where you could see it here in a John F. Kennedy Memorial Plaza. And if you go all the way to the right of the screen and you go down the sidewalk to the right of that brown building, you'll be walking right into Dealey Plaza and Main Street, where you can go right over to the Texas, the, uh, Texas Book Depository and see where Lee Harvey Oswald was allegedly stationed. And you can uh, look out onto the street that I said to this day. I mean, it's an entrance to the highway. It's, it's not even, it's not even like a, a main street. It's like a main, main street. It's a highly populated street coming out of the uh, city of Dallas. So this is another look at the memorial area to, to honor all of that. And some of the other pieces here that we got to see, I'll show you another picture of the road. So this is a picture of the road where off to my right and up would be the Texas Book Depository. And so this is, this is looking down the road. So this is as if, uh, if, if John F. Kennedy's motorcade was in front of me and I was taking a shot from being, you know, taking a picture from behind them. 
uh, so to speak. So uh, that's that's what that's what this angle is of this, and um, and like I said, uh, the uh, the Texas School Book Depository would be off to the right hand side of this, and so this is actually a picture of the sixth floor. And if you look at the top window, as I cut off the, uh, the other floors here. So if you, if you look at that when the top window on your screen here, and you see that there is a white box and there is a black dot on it, that is where Lee Harvey Oswald allegedly sat and took three shots toward the president, John F. Kennedy. And so this is the actual building that I told you when I was driving on the street, I looked up at from the road, like exactly where, you know, John F. Kennedy would have been sitting in his motorcade and looking around. I got to look up at this building as we drove by, which is very strange uh, to, to relive that, you know, it's, it's like being on a movie set and then you remind yourself that it's real life. And then here is me looking out over the X. So that is actually my hat. This shot was taken from above my head and looking out at the X. And to the left of the screen, there's the two X's where Governor Connolly was shot from the bullet that went through John F. Kennedy. The shot that missed actually went down the road and hit, I think it it, it hit one of the... Um, I don't know if it was a pillar. I, I forget exactly what he said, but it, the shot had gone down the road, uh, obviously past the motorcade, and ricocheted off of something and cut the face of someone who was standing as a visitor that was, you know, excited to see the president and came out to wave and whatnot. That was the first shot that went down the street. The second shot, which has the two X's on the road because it hit Governor Connolly after it went through John F. Kennedy, it went into and through Governor Connolly, that those two X's are to the left of that pole that you see, that green pole on the screen. And then looking dead ahead, straight ahead from my hat, you can see a Dealey Plaza and you can see the X in the middle of the road. And this goes back to another look at exactly where I was, a closer look at that X once again. So you could see it. And, uh, and then actually a uh, picture of me standing right here. This is not the grassy knoll. This is a, this is a hilly area in between the Texas School Book Depository and the grassy knoll where I was standing. So that those are my feet looking straight out once again at the final shot. And then went to the back of the head of John F. Kennedy. So here is the grassy knoll. Now... They told us to go three, um, three poles. So there's the first pole, the second pole, the third pole, that post, right? The post that you're seeing at the bottom of your screen. Because I took this shot looking out at Dealey Plaza, looking out at the road. Now, they told us to go one, two, three, stand by that post and look straight out. And if you look straight out from this grassy knoll, which really isn't a grassy knoll, it's a parking lot, it's paved now. It wasn't paved before. But looking out through this grassy knoll, you can see that if you if you eye directly in between these tree stumps, and you if you were to point a weapon straight out from this area, 
where you see the post in the bottom of your screen and you you have almost a clear direct shot and a shorter shot from the Texas School Book Depository that is in between these trees and right out in front of you. So you can actually see it. And one of the people that was on the tour actually backed up on the sidewalk and covered the X completely with his head, ironically. So as I was looking and seeing, like, is this a clear shot? He walked right into the shot, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, it was just one of those things where I don't believe in coincidences. And he stepped back into it, and his head covered that X completely, and I was like, I could definitely see somebody taking a shot from here. That's one of the conspiracies that allegedly the person, uh, earlier that day, there was, there was somebody who was in this parking lot in this grassy knoll area and was inside one of the buildings overlooking it and said that three cars pulled in that day drove very slowly in the area by the fence uh, drove very slowly and were and had bumper stickers of the person running against john f kennedy for john f kennedy's re-election and then he said that day that he thought he saw like a, a bright like a spark or something, right? Like like something that could come from a gunshot or could just be the sun reflecting off of something. He thought that he saw something of that nature, but he couldn't specifically say what it was. Well, this person was on the Dallas Highway and passed away from a car accident. And... We never got to really, from what I can understand from the information we were given, it seems all too strange and somewhat interesting, very, I shouldn't say somewhat interesting, very interesting that that the man that allegedly had seen this stuff passed away in a car accident. And we never really got to, in the Warren Commission, that, you know, kind of excused, from what I understood, to kind of excuse this testimony, and you know, or there wasn't much to it, like a dead end. I mean, you, you're seeing this angle as I'm talking about it. It looks like a perfect angle. So, it's just interesting. And I'm not here to say conspiracy or not conspiracy. I am here to give you the information that I was given today and to show you how clear of a shot this actually looks like. So the final picture that I have for you in this special where sports meets life and going back to the place where uh, going to the place where John F. Kennedy was assassinated. I shouldn't say going back. It's my first time going there. Uh, This is me with Dealey Plaza behind me and right behind me over my shoulder where he was shot and killed. And uh, I didn't want to take a selfie here smiling. I didn't think that that was the right thing to do. And I look, when I'm serious, I I feel like I look very strange (laughs) because I don't like to, you know, have that, that face of kind of, you know, anger or whatever. So... I took a picture that I thought was fitting in this moment, which was a uh, remembrance, uh, uh, taking your cap off, putting it over your heart, and remembering that uh, someone passed away here 
the world completely changed here to be respectful and to honor the life of someone who passed too soon from the hands of anything but God. And this moment, all of these moments from this really moved me, moved me in a way that is hard to put into words, to see what I saw, to hear the stories, to go to the rooming house, to go to Lee Harvey Oswald's apartment, to go to the fence where he allegedly had taken the picture to hear about his story with his mom and his story with his wife. And then Jack Ruby to hear the story of Jack Ruby who shot Lee Harvey Oswald on live television and killed him and and allegedly went to the ground and said, you know, why am I being arrested? I just, I'm a hero, right? I just, I just shot the man that shot the president. So we heard a lot of things on this tour and what do you believe, right? And you could feel free to comment here on facebook.com backslash wakeupcalledet and youtube.com backslash wakeupcalledet. What do you think happened? You know, do you believe that the grassy knoll was where a second shooter was set up? Or do you believe that this was a one-man job and that it was something that happened there? Um, John... Doe put, there was also a good theory by Jesse Ventura that the gunmen were inside the storm drains along both sides of the road. So there's another thought to that. Now, I was told today when I was kind of talking about this and trying to gather more information, because I'm somewhere in the middle of, I think there was two shooters or, you know, it could have been Lee Harvey Oswald. I think it would be really, really difficult for uh, one man to pull this off. You'd have to be in a superb shooter, which allegedly Lee Harvey Oswald was not the greatest shooter out there. So for him to have his best shooting day on the day that he attempts to assassinate a world figure is pretty far-fetched to be like, oh, this is the day where his shot was the greatest shot that he's ever taken. You know, this is the day where, and and you got to think about it. I mean, the first shot was a miss. So you know, in in the curvature of the bullet that people talk about, right? Now knowing that there were three shots, that kind of takes away the curvature story of the bullet. Because how did it go through John F. Kennedy? Well, and if you think about the bullets that were used, uh, the full metal jacket and the round bullets that they had, and the type of rifle that he that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald allegedly had in this, that what he had with the right bullet could pass through flesh and go into it was it was meant to go through a target into another target and so then you say well how can it how can it go into the side of governor Connolly, go into the side go into his hand and then go into his leg and what they didn't say was that he turned to look at the president and if he turns like this and it goes through here like this then if it's going through and then it goes through the hand, so it can actually pass through. And he was sitting down from the president, so the president was higher up. So if the bullet's coming down this way and goes through the president, it stands to reason that it could go through Governor Connolly, go through his side, 
hit his hand and go into his leg because that would be a straight diagonal shot that the bullet actually, because you say, well, how could the bullet go through the president? And then how could it go through three parts of Governor Connolly's body? Well, if Governor Connolly was angled the right way, then that bullet traveling through could go one, two, three, and out. And so there is an argument that sounds viable that uh, a perfect marksman, you know, taking, well, I shouldn't even say a perfect marksman, but the shot that he took, that it, you know, that it went through Governor Connolly, went through three parts of his body because the way that his body was angled, that the bullet is looking to pass through. Now, you have to remember when the, when the bullet is passing through your body, it can hit bone, it is hitting flesh, it is hitting tissue. So that could slow it down, alter it, move it, do different things to it. And so there's a lot of different things that go into this of how can he have it go, how can the governor have it go through him, then through, then through. But if you're sitting like this and it comes through here, through here, and then through your leg, it would actually just be traveling in a straight line, right, in a diagonal line. It'd be going straight through the governor, and it just so happens to be that that's how his body was positioned. So, I mean, that was an interesting take of it. And then, you know, people say, well, why did his head go back and to the left? Because it would seem he got hit this way and then fell this way. Why would, if he got shot back here, then why would he go back and over? But then they talk about when the bullet hit that it creates this opening approach. And so if it hits you here on the right side, that that explosion, essentially, not to be graphic, but that explosion would be happening on the right side that would kind of rocket you the other way, right? Push you the other way. So, I mean, really, out of everything that I heard, it left me still somewhere in the middle of was there, was it just Lee Harvey Oswald acting alone or was there somebody else? But it's hard for me to believe that Lee Harvey, even though the bullets, you know, and, and again, they said that you would have to fire off, you know, these, these five, or these, uh, these three shots within five to six seconds originally is what they were saying. And, and so when they went back and they looked at it, they said, actually, when you go back to the first shot, that he had about 11 seconds to do it. So the Carcanel rifle that was used here by Lee Harvey Oswald, now this Carcanel rifle that he utilized, not the easiest thing because you, you got to load it, and then, you know, do it again, and then do it again. So, again, for him to have his best shooting day on this day, where he could have been a little bit, now he was in the U.S. military, right? And so there was that side to his training. But for him to be in this moment, to not be the, the best shooter out there, to have to do it in five seconds later on, they say, okay, 11 seconds, still 11 seconds, Okay. 11 seconds to put all this together you know it's like you put the gun shoot miss and and i mean you think about this i'm gonna i'm gonna do this in in somewhat fast motion but i'm gonna time myself here so if you and and forgive me for those you know gunmen you know people that know how i don't want to say gunmen but people that know how to use you know a weapon out there that i might not be loading this carcanel rifle correctly but i'm just gonna miss make make right now i did that in about six seconds or so but at the same time the question is 
how good is your shot, right? And why did he miss the first one? Was he nervous? If he was nervous and he was kind of fumbling about himself, how could he get this done in 11 seconds? And, and, and now the argument of how Lee Harvey Oswald could do this is that Lee had the same shot the whole time, right? From where he was in the Texas School Book Depository, he's looking at the motorcade. And as the motorcade's going now, when it came in, now you think about it like this, when it came in front of the building going a slow, maybe 10 miles an hour, he had an easy shot. He had an easy shot. Now, why wasn't that shot taken? Because that shot was right in front of him. I mean, it's literally like just <laughs> pointing right out the window type of thing. So you got a shot right there, and you don't take it. As the car turns and starts to pull down, down the road to go toward the highway, you take the shot and you miss. Now, the argument that was told to me is he took three shots. He's looking at the president from behind, and the president is just getting smaller down the road, but it's the same angle, right? You're taking the diagonal shot. Now, I would argue as you're coming around the bend, that road that I was on, you might not be able to tell it from here behind me or from the pictures I showed you, but that road curves to get on the highway. So you're not going, I mean, it's curving around. And I looked from where the spot was up at the building, and obviously trees can grow over time. This was almost 60 years ago. But I think to myself, were those branches there? Was there any obstruction? Because now when you look at this tree, you know, there is an obstruction. There's not a perfect shot. So for you to be looking and to shoot down that street and to have the road curve the way it does, yes, your target is right in front of you. And he's getting, and that's the thing is he's getting smaller and smaller. If you missed your first shot when he was closest to you, how could you become a better shooter as he got farther away? And like I said, the grassy knoll angle is a lot better of a shot. Now, the argument there for the grassy knoll is that some people believe that when you are trying to hit a target, that the toughest target to hit is the one that's moving side to side. And if you're in the grassy knoll, the president is moving from the left to the right, right, left to the right. Where if you're up in the school book depository, he's just moving straight down. Now, um, John said, no way one man did this. Even the medical personnel who treated JFK at the hospital uh, stated that the head wound was an entry wound from the front of the head. If you are somehow still believing the main story, you need to get your head checked. So John, you know, saying, hey, I believe there's another shooter. And like I said, brings me over to the, the grassy knoll. Now, looking at that grassy knoll, once again, everything that I heard about this story, I can't believe that Lee Harvey Oswald was just a deranged egomaniac who thought that he was so amazing and so great and just wanted the world to know that he was so successful, right? Because <clears throat> there's these different stories about, did he go to Mexico? Was he trying to go to Cuba? You know, was he really trying to renounce his citizenship to the United States and stay in the USSR forever? Why was he there for a couple of years type of thing? So there's the whole story of who was he trying to be? Was he playing a double agent? Why did he, why wouldn't he was arrested? Did he have two different licenses with two different names on it? Why at the rooming house was he under a different name? So, you know, you look at kind of that story 
And, you know, is this, is this man just a man who was told by his mother his whole life that he was going to be somebody and he didn't really need to work that hard and he became narcissistic? Is that enough to say that he was a really good... I mean, you could be narcissistic. It doesn't mean you're a good shooter. You can be narcissistic. It doesn't mean that you're going to go and do something like this. You could be absolutely out of your mind, but does that lead to, you know, what was his vendetta against John F. Kennedy? What did John F. Kennedy do to him? Right. You know, what, what, you know, it's not like he had a bunch of followers. It's not like he had people that he was leading some cult or some faction that was, you know, anti-government or anti-the president and that he had this following of people that considered him their leader, right. To do their bidding. Remember Charles Manson, he was, you know, he had followers. There was, there's people out there that, that, you know, are absolutely insane. Mussolini, Hitler that had followers and, that didn't seem the case. Lee Harvey Oswald, he seemed like a loner. Jack Ruby, who shot him, what we were told today was, you know, Jack Ruby, he was crazy himself. He was out of his mind. He thought his dog was his wife and, you know, this, that, and and, and whatever. And that Jack Ruby was just this bipolar guy who was crazy too. So, and that's what I said to the tour guide today. I was like, you know, in trying to look at all angles of this, the question that comes to mind is... Are we really to believe that these were just two crazy men just doing crazy things? That Lee Harvey Oswald was just crazy enough to try and assassinate the president and succeed, and Jack Ruby was crazy enough to believe that if he assassinated JFK, he would be considered a hero. It's up to you to decide. But the whole time I've been talking, you've been looking out from the pole that we were told to stand at which has a direct shot to that final X, which is where the president got shot in the head. And to me, I was told this is a difficult shot to take because it's side to side. I look at it as if you're a good marksman, you know how to hit a moving target, right? And whether you're up in the building or you're here in the grassy knoll, you know how to hit a moving target. And as the target is coming into your viewfinder, to be able to do something like this. Now, remember, whether or not you believe it's Lee Harvey Oswald or Lee Harvey Oswald and somebody else, somebody missed the moving target the first time when it was closest to the Texas School Book Depository. This shot looks even closer in person from the grassy knoll. And the fact that the only eyewitness that described that there were people kind of scoping out this grassy knoll earlier you know in the day happened to just (laughs) just kind of coincidentally die in a car accident on the dallas highway uh seemed and 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 obviously it wasn't the day of that that happened but that also seemed strange you know there was never a trial by jury there was never a trial by jury for for any of this and that didn't create any type of closure and to this day almost 60 years later I stood there today saying, I don't know if I believe it was just Lee. And then I walked to the area and I looked around the area and I was like, it doesn't make sense that it was just Lee. It just doesn't make logical sense that it was just Lee. But at the end of the day, it's up to us to decide, decipher, 
look at the information. Not everything has been released still to this day, almost six decades later. We still don't know all of the information that the CIA know, knew and whatnot. We do know that the leader of the CIA was, fi- CIA was fired. So he had a reason to be angry at the president. And we know that there were different things going on. There was a failed attempt in Cuba of overthrowing Fidel Castro. There was a lot of other things going on in the background. And for Lee Harvey Oswald, the people that he went after were people that he seemingly had either a connection to or that threatened his life. And I'm still not clear on where his connection was to the president, nor what his connection was to anybody threatening his life in that moment. And for Jack Ruby, if the man's bipolar and a little bit off and whatnot, he had no history leading up to that point. And what would compel him to do such an act after so many years of, you know, maybe to some people just being a crazy person, right? We know we all probably know somebody who's a little off, somebody who you're a little bit nervous to be around or who's said or done something that's made you feel a little unsettled. But the, it's a big jump to say, well, this person unsettles me too. Well, you know, they must have just done this because there was this reason or that reason. So, I mean, it's a story that leaves a lot of things open to interpretation and to us to continue to decipher 60 years later, which continues to make it interesting. The truth is JFK was assassinated. The truth is it was a horrific day for Dallas, Texas, for the country, for the world. The truth is it changed, you know, how how you release information to the media about the president. The fact that the president never shows up on time. The fact that you're not going to know the route the president's taken. I remember during 9-11 that they showed a picture of the bunker that they said President Bush was in. And they were talking about, like, where it is, and they took a picture of it. And I was like, I really hope this is smoke and mirrors and that they're taking a picture and talking about a location that is not where he is and that this is to just put people off the scent. Because if you're literally physically saying, oh, he's right underneath this trap here and this is where we're located, that would command everybody to that area that would want to do him harm. So I was always hoping that that time during 9-11 was a, hey, we're going to send you here because that's not really where he is. Because if that is where he is, that was one of the dumbest, most asinine things to do. In the case of telling everybody where the motorcade was going, well, they said they wanted people to show up. He was trying to get reelected. They wanted people to come out. He, they didn't want him to tour the streets of Dallas and have nobody be there. The whole point of him being there as a man of the people was to see the people. So it makes sense that you would want people to know, yet... If I'm the president of the United States, I'd ask myself a question. Why was my entire route told? I'm not the Macy's Day Parade. And number two, why was it republished a day before in the paper again? Now, the sad thing about all of this is not only the death of John F. Kennedy and its effect that it had on the world and all of his loved ones, but it was also the speech he never got to give which is a very profound speech, which was located where, I'm, where I am right now with Dealey Plaza behind me 
it was located pretty much where I'm sitting here right now, looking out at Dealey Plaza, and it reads as follows. We in this country, these are the words that were uh, allegedly written by John F. Kennedy to say at the place that he was traveling to from this motorcade that he was going to be speaking at in Dallas. Quote, we in this country, in this generation, are, by destiny rather than choice, the watchmen on the walls of world freedom. We ask, therefore, that we may be worthy of our power and responsibility, that we may exercise our strength with wisdom and restraint, and that we may achieve in our time and for all time the ancient vision of, quote, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, end quote. That must always be our goal, and the righteousness of our cause must always underlie our strength. For as it was written long ago, quote, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain, end quote. John Fitzgerald Kennedy. This is supposed to be the address delivered at the Dallas Trademark on November 22nd, 1963, that he never got to make. I'm going to read it again, and you can also see this. Uh, looking out on the street, on Main Street, where he was, you know, Main Street and Elm, that area where he was, by Dealey Plaza, where he was assassinated. Once again, these are the words he never got to give. We in this country, in this generation, are by destiny rather than choice. Destiny rather than choice. The watchmen on the walls of world freedom. I thought watchmen was interesting right here. We ask, therefore, that we may be worthy of our power and responsibility. That we may exercise our strength with wisdom and restraint. So not just exercise your strength, but to exercise your strength with wisdom behind it and restraint. And that we may achieve in our time and for all time the ancient vision of, quote, peace on earth goodwill toward men, to have it now and for all time. That must always be our goal. And the righteousness of our cause must always underlie our strength. So again, saying that there was something more important than the strength of the nation. The righteousness of the cause. Not just the strength that the country has. For as was written long ago, quote, except the Lord keep the city. The watchman waketh but in vain, except the Lord keep the city. The watchman waketh but in vain, end quote. The address that John F. Kennedy was supposed to make at the Dallas Trademark on November 22nd, 1963, that he was never able to make. So, again, where sports meets life, here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, spending time in this broadcast to speak on my experience of the JFK assassination tour, learning about Jack Ruby, learning about Lee Harvey Oswald, learning about John F. Kennedy, learning about the conspiracy theories, learning about the original theory, learning about what happened that day and that time, getting background on the players that were involved within all of this, going to the memorial and the coldness and the detachment of that memorial and 
being able to actually drive on the road, be by the building, touch the area, be at the grassy knoll, stand there, look up at the sixth floor where, where Lee Harvey Oswald was to see the X's that are forever etched onto the street. And not only that, but the police officer that was shot by Lee Harvey Oswald in a different neighborhood to see the X on that street, to go to Lee Harvey Oswald's apartment, to go to the rooming house where he went after all of this happened, to walk into his room. And I will tell you of all the places and the different feelings that I got, there was a certain feeling in the rooming house that was more dark. I don't know if dark is the word. It was more... It was more of the smell in the room and almost smelled like how it would have smelled 60 years ago. So the smell in that room and the energy of that room felt like there was something menacing to it. Maybe dark is the word. So to go through all of this and to see all of this, the whole point of, of coming to Dallas, to coming to a city that I've always wanted to come to, was to experience Dallas. And I thought that going there and, and doing this today, I really did get to experience not only Dallas, but to experience a part of our history. Yeah, a moment that my parents will never forget, just like I remember everything. I remember so many things about 9-11. I remember point by point, what, 21 years later. And, and here my parents are all these years later, 60 years, almost 60 years later, remembering, you know, being seven, eight years old and experiencing this day of the JFK assassination. So I want to thank Fun Texas Tours. I want to thank the city of Dallas. And I want to thank our tour guide, Kevin, for giving us the different angles, for telling us, hey, here's the story that we know, here's the story that's out there that refutes that story, and here is the background on the characters within the story. I thought it was a beautiful way to kind of let people decide while we learn and to make our own kind of avenues here, but you almost can't help but feel like an investigator when you're standing on the hill here and you're looking out over everything and you're going into these different places and you're seeing these different things and you're feeling these different things and there's different energy coming from different places and different parts of this road of tragedy. I can't compare anything to it. I'm not going to try to. I'll, I will not disrespect the experience by doing that. And I, you know... <laughs> I would have loved if this never happened. If this never occurred. I think we can all second that. That in any given moment, life can be taken. Life can be altered. We learned that with DeMar Hamlin, with the Buffalo Bills that happened while I was down here in Dallas. We were sitting and watching the game the media was in our kind of media hospitality area after the Cotton Bowl. 
you know, life is precious. And you have no idea what's going to happen next. What to John F. Kennedy was a way to try and win Texas back and make a good impression and show his vulnerability in a positive way ended up with the end of his life. What once was a detour from the original plan of where they were going to drive to as they were going to go straight down Maine. And it was like, no, we can't go straight down Maine. Because if we go straight down here, then, you know, we're going to get onto the wrong part of the highway. We need to go the other way. So let's make a right instead. And then we'll make a left and we'll go down this road closer to this building. Now, Lee Harvey Oswald, think about this. He got the job at the Texas School Book Depository before, weeks before. I think it was six weeks before any of this happened that the motorcade was coming in and that it changed its course. So it's not like he got the job because he knew the president was coming and he knew where he was going to be and he knew everything that was going on. He got the job before any of this happened. So again, it leads to this predetermined, you know, uh, premeditated murder that it, it couldn't have been premeditated because he got the job before he even knew the president was going to be there and where the president was going to be. So that refutes it too as to okay well he was he was in this building that had an angle and had a shot on the corner here but he didn't take the job for that reason and he was also you know there were there were notes of different things that he had left to his wife about things he was going to do and and somebody that he was going to go out and hurt and this that and and whatever and allegedly there was never a note about his desire to hurt John F. Kennedy. Now, this this man, Lee Harvey Oswald, who is known to be allegedly narcissistic and think that, you know, he was going to become famous and, and that he was some great man, you know, if, if he's out there telling her, hey, I'm going to hurt these people and this is what I'm going to do, and he's leaving her letters about this, like, hey, you might find me in jail tonight because I'm going to hurt this person, why didn't he leave one about the president? You know, wouldn't that have been his biggest stage so why leave it about other people and not about the president, right? So that, again, doesn't look premeditated. So there's a lot of questions. I left the tour with a whole lot of knowledge. I left the tour with a whole lot of uh, feeling and, uh, uh, and just kind of an undescribable... memory that I will take from from this day, but without the clarity of being able to sit here and tell you definitively, this happened or this happened or this happened or this happened. I told you I, I lie somewhere in between. And it opened up my eyes to want to do my own research, to want to learn, to learn more about history. It also opened up my mind that when I'm in different towns or cities, to look up the history of those towns and cities and to to search out different things and go to different places. You know, I went to St. Augustine and where the fort is in St. Augustine and it's supposed to be a haunted place and whatnot. And I went there at night and I didn't really feel anything in certain places. It was really cold outside. And I remember I went to one wall and I felt very unsettled. There was just something about the wall and something was telling me to not look in this one area because I didn't want to look in that. Like there, something was like, don't look there, don't walk there. And then there was something about the wall and the person that I was dating at the time, she separate of me, walked in front of me 
and was and was by this wall and she looked at the wall and she goes i can't be here i gotta walk away i don't feel good here i have to walk away so she felt something separately of me feeling something but me unlike her i walked farther and she just kind of you know walked away so you know i have been to different places that have these historical kind of what happened what is the real story there's this story and there's that story but i i would implore you to learn about history to go to these monuments, to go to these places, to go to these roads, go to these buildings, and really get a feel for it yourself because there's something about the human connection to the past and almost the touching of of the road or or different objects or different places and the feeling of energy. There's There's something to be said about the kind of invisible tangibility of things and how the human spirit can can bond to moments and and i don't know how to describe that to you unless you felt it for yourself so i would definitely suggest going on this tour and learning more about it and my goal was to come down and learn about dallas beyond sports where sports meets life tagline of my show wake up call that you're watching and listening to worldwide and and i live that because here is where sports meets life. Here comes the Dallas Cowboy fan. Here comes the guy covering the Cotton Bowl Classic. And I spent extra time after the game for what reason? Because I wanted to discover So I wanted to really learn about the fiber of Dallas, the fiber of the area. I wanted to, to have a unique and memorable experience that connected me to the community. And this was the thing that popped up and I don't know what other experience could feel in such a way like this. So uh, very memorable and, and I will take it with me forever and I will seek to learn more from this. And you got, you know, you're all, wherever you are in the world, you're welcome to respond to this video on facebook.com backslash wakeupcalldt and on youtube.com backslash wakeupcalldt and tell me what you think. Tell me what your thoughts are. You know, I'm not sitting here saying it's exactly this or exactly that. I said I'm somewhere in between. So, you know, I, I more went on this tour to do something that I never thought I'd be able to do to, I mean, I, folks, and again, there's people that walk through these places eating burritos. There's people that walk through here and get an Uber. There's people that drive on this street all the time, yelling at their girlfriend on the phone or whatever. And, but my experience of it was vastly different to be in a place that my parents saw on television, a place that seemed so far away and so distant, and yet their son stood there. You know, almost 60 years after they saw this as kids, here I am saying, Mom and Dad, I'm on the hill. I'm at the grassy knoll. I'm outside of the Texas School Book Depository. I'm right where the X's are. I'm where the next X is. I'm, I could literally walk out onto the street and touch the X. I'm right here. I'm at Lee Harvey Oswald's place where he lived. I'm at his, the other place where he lived. I'm here where this cop was shot. I, I'm on this road of the memorial. I'm, I'm reliving. I'm retracing the steps of this moment. And I'm, I'm seeing this. You know, I'm, I'm seeing this through so many angles. And I got to tell you, folks, all these years later, it's still makes it just it makes you feel something I think even the coldest heart can feel something here 
And I experienced it from the moment I went to the Memorial Plaza and it was just quiet. And people were just kind of walking around, not necessarily doing anything except for reading the signs on the ground, the one that's standing up, going up to the monument, walking into the monument, looking around the monument, standing there, you know, and just kind of living in the moment. It was a horrible moment in our history. And I can't even believe that to this day you can walk right up to it. And I mean, you see that video over and over again. You learn about it in social studies class and history. But it seems, again, so detached, so on a cloud somewhere by itself that you can't go there and you can't physically see it, feel it, be there. And here I was today, right there, looking at it, just standing there looking at the X from all different angles. And it just brought me to a place that nothing else has ever brought me to, an effect that is all its own. I pray for the Kennedys in heaven. I pray for all of the loved ones here on earth to continue to live on today. And I pray for the health and safety and happiness of us all. I implore you to learn about history because we have to learn from where we've been. And at the same time, I pray that you all are good to each other and stay safe so that we don't have to have these moments in history anymore. I thank you for watching and listening to Wake Up Call Worldwide on Facebook.com, YouTube.com, and MixLR.com. Watching and listening worldwide, YouTube.com, Facebook.com, and MixLR.com, all backslash Wake Up Call DT facebook.com backslash live now dt and on wakeupcalldt.com's homepage wake up call with dan tortora archives our broadcast and you can go back and watch and listen on these many channels on amazon music audible iHeartRadio, itunes and apple Podcasts, mix lr player fm podbean podvine stitcher TuneIn, spotify and youtube all you have to do is search wake up call with dan tortora or one word wake up call DT and a big thanks to all of our incredible partners in central and upstate New York Cafe Kubal, Carvel DeWitt, The Wildcat Sports Pub, Witty Wicks, Avicoli's, PB&J's Lunchbox, Monpa's Kettle Corn and Popcorn Factory, K9 Camp Dog Daycare, Mother's Cupboard, 317 at Montgomery, Great Lakes Honda City, Chick fil A Watertown, K9 Campground Dog Boarding, Chick fil A Cicero, and Chick fil A Clay, and of course Pizza Man. And we are proud to be the exclusive multimedia marketing partners of both the Lemoyne College Dolphins and the Brian and Stratton Bobcats of Syracuse. You can get our Lemoyne content on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time during the live broadcast of Wake Up Call. We air our specials called Inside of Dolphin Time with the Lemoyne College Dolphins on the first and third Wednesday of each month. It is AD and DT with Athletics Director Bob Beretta and myself. Dan Tortora, and every second and fourth Wednesday, the Dolphin Dive, where we dive into the stories of student athletes, coaches, as well as administration, future Dolphins, and alumni. You can get all of this information and all of these shows on the Dolphins by going to the Lemoyne tab on wakeupcalldt.com and by subscribing to youtube.com backslash wakeupcalldt. 
For more information on your Dolphins, go to LemoyneDolphins.com. The Brian and Stratton College Bobcats of Syracuse, exclusive multimedia marketing partners with Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora and Dan Tortora Broadcast Media. The Bobcats come to you monthly exclusively on Wake Up Call with the Bobcat Buzz, interviewing student-athletes, coaches, and administration with the Bobcats men's and women's soccer teams that have both won national championships, the men's and women's basketball team teams that are in season right now, and the inaugural baseball team that will be coming into existence this year in 2023, God willing, in just a few months. You can get all of our content by going to the BSC Syracuse tab on wakeupcalldt.com to see the Bobcats and hear from them. And, of course, you can go to youtube.com backslash wakeupcalldt to get our Bobcat coverage. Once you subscribe to the channel, you can search Bobcat Buzz. For more information on your Bobcats, go to syracuse.bscbobcats.com. With all that being said... Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora from the Cafe Kubal Studios on the road with you where sports meets life. We're happy to start off the new year of 2023 in Texas in the Dallas, Fort Worth, and Arlington areas. I want to thank everybody. I want to thank the awesome experience at the Cotton Bowl Classic. I want to thank AT&T Stadium, the Dallas Cowboys, Jerry Jones, uh, Scotty Rogers, everybody that worked at the Cotton Bowl Classic, Tulane University, University of Southern Cal. I want to thank the players I got to speak with from Southern Cal, a cornerback, Makai Blackman, as well as right guard Justin Dietich. I want to thank Tulane quarterback Michael Pratt. I want to thank linebacker Dorian Williams, running back Tajay Spears. I'd also like to thank tight end Alex Bauman and would like to give a special thanks to defensive tackle Patrick Jenkins and cornerback Jarius Monroe as well as head coach of the Tulane Green Wave, who won the Cotton Bowl 46-45, scoring 16 unanswered points after being down 45-30 to with 4 minutes and 30 seconds left on the nose. I want to thank Willie Fritz, the head coach of the Tulane Green Wave. I want to thank the cities. I want to thank the incredible drivers that I had. I want to thank all the uh, hospitality, the hotels, the restaurants. I want to give a big-time thanks to... Uh, trying out Railhead Smokehouse, my first experience of true Dallas barbecue. Well, I should say Fort Worth barbecue, Texas barbecue. Uh, so big shout out to Fort Worth. Uh, shout out to TCU, a team that I have promoted from afar. And I got to be just a few minutes from campus uh, in this trip. So, I mean, this trip was very fruitful. I, like I said, Dallas Cowboy fan, always wanted to come down to Dallas, always wanted to go to the stadium, always wanted to see where the Dallas Cowboys called home to get to come to AT&T Stadium, to stand on the field, to broadcast, to do what I love and love what I do, and then to say I'm going to stay you know, a little bit after because I really want to experience Dallas and to be able to do that by going to on the JFK assassination tour was a experience beyond anything I could ever ask to do the day after one of the greatest moments of my life. So... Thank you to everybody involved. Thank you to Fun Texas Tours. Thank you to Kevin, our tour guide. And thank you to all of you watching and listening from wherever you are. So in the meantime, God bless. No stress. Do your best. I pray for all of you, for health, safety, happiness, goodwill toward all, and to the soul of JFK. Thank you for letting me walk the hallowed ground. And God bless you in heaven and to your loved ones in heaven and beyond. I pray that you are sleeping sweetly. President John F. Kennedy, and to everybody involved here on earth and in heaven. God bless you all, and may all your souls be at rest and be at peace. From the Cafe Kubal Studios, find us on Facebook at Wake Up Call DT, Twitter at Call DT, and Instagram at Wake Up Call underscore DT. 
And as always, I leave you with three things. God bless. No stress. Do your best. Happy 2023. I cannot believe, but I am so grateful that we got to start off the new year by making history not once, but twice in the first few days of this beautiful year. I'll talk with you soon. And God bless 2023. Be well.